Good evening, Wool Gatherers. Welcome to the 121st episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering. On tonight's episode, we review the latest record from Soulfly. It's their 12th studio album called Totem. And uh, more importantly tonight, though, we are talking about the first six episodes of Netflix series Sandman. And that will lead us into our discussion of issue 13, uh, which is where we're at in our read weekly. And uh, those dovetail nicely. So it's going to be really nice for us to do that tonight. If you like what you see and hear tonight, subscribe and leave a comment. Feel free to share with your friends. And joining me for all of the fun we're about to have is none other than Metalhead Mundy. Step inside into his mind. It's boy band time. It's Metalhead Mundy. Hello, hello. Every time you show that picture, like I miss those guys so much. I need to get a hold of them, get together again. It's really, it's one of those sad Hollywood stories of the breakup of you and the band. And then uh, we'll talk about it at some point when it doesn't hurt so much anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'll never tire of that song, by the way. But uh, we really need Joe Wright back on the show because I need the L. Ray theme song more than I mean, me. I'm going to just play it for you next time. Let's say we can play it anytime you want, I guess. It just might <laughs> be a little weird. It'd be a lot weird. But I, you know, sometimes it is, it's an earworm. It'll get in there on you. <laughs> so, um, hey, well, let's get started because we've got a lot of comic and music goodness tonight. And um, you had a special um, weekend. So I'm going to remove me from the scene and put this up here so it's bigger. Here we go. Yeah. So um, I am a huge fan of the artist Bill Sinkevich. Uh, I found his work when I was a kid, and he's been my favorite since then, forever. For probably, I mean, it's going on close to 40 years now 35, 40 years. So, um, there was an art gallery at the, I can't ever remember the name. It's the, the Dunn Museum. Um, it is in Libertyville, Illinois, uh, which is, I saw it was coming and it's like three and a half hours away. It's up uh, just a hair past Chicago. Um, so I was like, that's close enough. I really want to go to that. And then I'm glad I didn't just go because then I found out on August 13th, uh, Bill was going to be there uh, to do a signing and whatever. So I'm like, we're definitely going to that. So I told my wife I wanted to do that. And she is like our, you know, planner, researcher, she maps everything out and gets us where we need to go and figures out all the logistics. And she did that. And that's where we went Saturday. So we actually went to Libertyville Friday night, spent the night and got up Saturday morning and went. And I'm glad we did that because there was a pretty good line. And I mean, we got there, there was already a line and then there was a even bigger line behind us. So, um, they opened the doors. We went in, uh, paid our admission, and I bought his art book there, which I believe, um, I mean, I have it right here, but we have a slide of it too. So, but I have it right here. It's called Bill Sinkevich Revolution. Um, 
So uh, I bought that and I took, he was signing like three books per person or three items per person. And uh, uh, so I was taking three. I took five because I told Lacey she was going to get three signed for me. So um, I took five books and I wanted to buy his book there. So that's what I did. Uh, and it is a gorgeous book. And it was fairly underpriced, I feel like. I mean, it's a huge coffee table book. and It was only like 50 bucks. So, um, But uh, so that if you go back to that first slide you had with the, the little swag pack there. So this was when we paid our admission, they gave us this. It came in this little envelope and there was um, uh, they actually gave us more bookmarks. But there was one of these bookmarks in the envelope. So that's each side of the bookmark and the little button. And that is uh, the Electra thing is that's a little sticker. So a little swag pack, nothing, nothing too fancy. Oh, you gotta and, like a swag pack. Yeah, it is pretty and, cool. You know, for people out there who aren't really familiar with him, he's kind of an artist artist. Everybody loves him, mm. and they appreciate yes. what he does, mm -hmm. and he's so unique. There just mm -hmm. isn't anybody else like him, which makes yes. him truly unique. If you think about most comic book art, like if you are not, definitely if you're not a comic book fan, if you think about what comic book art looks like to you, that is not Bill Sienkiewicz. <laughs> His style is very sketchy. Um, lots of extra lines, lots of craziness. Um, I, I once, I think I described it on one of his posts. Like I said this and he liked it and agreed with it. It's his style is, it, it, it looks so loose and sketchy, but, perfect like he does mm -hmm. these portraits of people they're amazing it looks like a photograph that then an artist like drew over or something like but it, his style is so it's loose but it's just perfect yeah he was every time a celebrity would pass or a comics yes. person would pass he would do artwork for them and he posted them if you follow him on twitter yeah, um, he always yeah. had those up the day of. So yeah. not only was it beautiful and perfect, but it was fast. Yes. Yeah. He still does those. I see him on like Facebook and Instagram, but uh, yeah. All right. Let's go to the next one. You ready? Yep. So this is Stray Toasters number four. Um, and I picked number four. A lot of people are like, why wouldn't you take the first issue? Well, number four was this picture doesn't really do it justice because of the lighting and stuff but it's it's all black it's like black on black except for the trade dress there at the top so i'm like i i know that he likes to sign stuff with a paint marker mm -hmm. so i'm like if i take this black cover in there he's gonna do something cool on it and he did he, he used his little white paint marker and <laughs> so i knew he would so Straight Toasters was a book. It was like a four issue. I think each issue was like 48 pages, 48 or 64 pages. I'm, I don't remember, but it's a series. It's all him written, written by him, art by him. It's, it's, it's way out there. It's super weird. So next. Uh, oh. So this is Dune. It's only, this is the picture. I, I didn't get the full cover in here. 
got the important um, part. Yeah. So, uh, back when the, uh, God, what's his name? Lynch, the David Lynch movie, mm-hmm. when it came out, uh, Marvel did a three issue adaptation of it. And Sienkiewicz did all of the art covers and interiors. So I took the first issue and he signed it for me. So, and that's, that's a perfect example right there. If you see Kyle McLaughlin's face, I mean, that likeness is spot on. Mm-hmm. but like the style is all it's all sketchy and flowy and but that's kyle mclaughlin all day yeah it's a, yeah it's that photo representation but uh done with his style yeah all right Ooh, this is i love this cover of the ones you've got this is my favorite so this is actually um dc has started doing um their their black label this is one of the oversized it's like a magazine size uh, mini series. This is the first issue. It's called The Question The Deaths of Vic Sage. This is the first issue. And this is actually the art is um, penciled by Dennis Cow- Cohen. Cohen or Cowan. I don't know yeah, how you yeah. say his name. And Sienkiewicz inked it. So Sienkiewicz comes in. I mean, Dennis Cowan, his style anyway is pretty loose and sketchy, but him and Sienkiewicz are have always been amazing together and their history with this character is very cool. Um, the question had a series in the eighties that was, I think it ran, Oh gosh, I want to say it was like 37 issues or I don't know, somewhere around there. I don't, I don't remember, but written by the legendary Dennis O'Neill. Um, but Dennis Callen was the artist the, uh, the interior artists on most of it, but um, him and Sienkiewicz did all of the covers, every single cover for that series. So they have a lot of history together. They've been, you know, friends and colleagues for a long time and they did the covers and interiors on this four issue series. So that's an oversized book. So that, you know, that signature is huge. It's, beautiful <laughs> it's like uh those magazine styles now like which are so popular yes. i love those and this is the exact same size but this is when marvel was doing their graphic novels mm-hmm. the oversized graphic novels back in the 80s so this is the daredevil uh, love and war um and this is again sinkevich did the cover and he did all of the interior artwork and it is just absolutely gorgeous yeah um, the inside is bonkers co- <laughs> yes you see that cover like it's that the interiors are that i mean times 10 so it's uh it's really really beautiful book so i would agree yeah and oh. that's his his book that i got i got this there and it's uh it's pretty thick and that was he opened it up and signed it on the title page there with his little red sharpie yeah, that's how a lot of them used to sign. Uh, they would sign inside rather than on the cover. Yes, so it's not some. to ruin the cover. Yeah, I have some that they did that on. And that is your last slide, pal. Cool. Sounds uh, like a cool trip. Now the oh, big question thought, is: Wait, I thought I sent you the picture of me and him. Did that not come through? Oh uh, yeah, huh? I have no idea. Let me look. <laughs> 
And so it's not a big deal if it didn't, but I did get a picture with him. You certainly did. But how was he to talk to? Did did he give you a, a few minutes? Uh, yeah, he was really nice. Um, you know, I mean, there was a huge line, so I was not planning on taking up a ton of his time. I really, I mean, all I told, I told him, you know, he's been my favorite artist since I was a kid. I had met him before in like 2007 and he was super nice and uh, was very generous with his time then. Like I had a whole stack of crap for him to sign and I fanboyed all over him and he took it and it was very nice. <laughs> and uh, I, I actually, I had the Dune comic and I, I just, I asked him what he thought of like the new Dune movie. And he was like, Oh, I loved it so much. I can't wait to see the next one, you know? Mm-hmm. so he's really nice he's just he's a very very nice guy so he's yeah. he's not a dick so <laughs> i've not had you know meeting uh comic artists and writers and things i haven't really come across very many i've had a couple of exchanges that i thought were like i was a bit rude but for the most part what a great community really yeah. nice people yeah and they appreciate that we support them by buying their books so yeah, that's, that's it too. Like, I mean, that's, everybody's just, everyone is there to see him. So everyone is just fawning all over him, you know, and like, he's, he's very kind and gracious and you know, appreciative, you know. Did you uh, do that Chris Farley thing? It was cool when you, when you, <laughs> you remember that time. <laughs> that was cool. Uh, yeah, I could see that, but I'm guessing you are much more cool and cool than that. Yeah, I'm, I get really awkward uh, in that situation. I'm like, I don't, what am I going to say to him that he hasn't heard a thousand times, you know? Exactly. And that's, that's where I always get in my head about that kind of thing. You know, I'm like, I, I just like, I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And it's like, what'd you think of the new Dune movie? <laughs> so. Yeah, I usually whatever. try to come up with a question too. Usually something yeah. related to the art or the story, but I, you know, yeah so whatever he's nice so that makes it easier to be an idiot in front of him (laughs) (laughs) and you got some cool stuff i did and i you know i asked you guys about the the moon knight number one and you know i was not the only one that had theirs there so i don't know why you wouldn't i mean yeah i yeah but it's like uh I don't know. It's kind of a key book right now anyway, you know, and I'm like, mm, should I have him sign it? And Who I don't cares? know. It's one of those they can things. Still, but... They can still like figure out if it's legit and it doesn't really damage the value of a book. It's not yes. authenticated necessarily. I forget what they call it, but, um, but uh, they can definitely do that. There was actually a dude from CGC there. Don't send anything to CGC unless you're willing to pay. Um, a ton of money to get it quickly. I turned mine in in December. I turned three books in. Yeah. And at that time, it was like a hundred days turnaround. Mm-hmm. Now it's two twenty four. So I'm we're about into September, and those books I turned in December seventeenth are not back. Wow. They haven't even gone into grading. They're still in processing, even wow. though I paid on December seventeenth. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't send anything there unless you're paying the forty or fifty bucks rush to get them back in two weeks. Yeah. There was a guy there from CGC that was taking names of anybody who wanted to do like the witness signature Mm -hmm. thing that they do, you know, I did that. Yeah. So here's the, so I did, uh, I I wanted to get those, uh, first issues of echo signed by Hmm. David Mack and Jenny Palmiotti. 
And so they go, they walk with you. Super nice guy. We, we talked because there was a line. So we got to talk for a while. Great guy. But we get up there. So I had to pay them for the signature because they got to walk with you. And then <laughs> Palmiotti charged like 20 or $25 to sign one while a guy was watching. Ooh. Even though you could just get it signed. So it ended up being like 25 or 30 bucks to get it signed and authenticated. So. Wow. I know. I didn't care because that's, you know, it's Daredevil. And yeah. so I was excited anyway. And I like both those guys. They're good quality people, great books. Yeah. So I paid never it. met Palmiotti, but Mac is, he's a sweetheart. He is, yeah, the best of the best. And Palmiotti was very nice. Cool. Uh, and he was there with his wife. So yeah, it was cool. All right. Amanda. Yes, Amanda. Yeah. All right. So we're getting ready to move on. But guess what, Monday? I'm drinking some tea tonight. You know why it tastes so good? It's that fancy mug. It's the same reason I look so sexy tonight. I was going to say, somebody is looking sharp tonight. <laughs> What's Lacey think? she back there? Uh, no, she went down the hall to watch something and try to keep the cat out of here. So Gotcha. Hey, um, we're getting ready to talk about Sandman, but you let me borrow this gem while I was on. Um, I, I had a yes. work session for three days where I had to go get some training and uh, yes. this book Mezzo. Mm -hmm. Wow. It was really good. It's so good. That, what a beautiful book. The art was fantastic. Story yeah. was great. And I know that uh, the second series is out right now, so I can't wait. And then you've got some news about that too. Um, awesome. Yeah. So uh, the second series is he's actually doing singles. Uh, Tyler Chin Tanner is the writer and he's one of the founders of A Wave Blue World, which is the company that publishes that particular book and many other quality books. Um, we've had him on before. Um, and I was I just shot him a message and I'm like, hey man, you know, I'm I'm loving the new mezzo, the mezzo sequel. And uh he said you know, he was like, oh, thanks. I really appreciate that and whatever. And I just kind of asked him if he would be interested in coming back on to talk about it or talk about anything else, if he had anything else coming up. And he said, um, so I think issue four is out right now. Issue five will be the last one. And he said between the time that comes out and there's like a month or month and a half before the trade comes out, so somewhere in there, he said he would love to come on and, you know, kind of pimp the trade and whatever. So I think we're going to try to have Tyler back on to talk about that and see what's up with the Wave Blue World, what what he's excited about. Yeah, it's and the the trade, which is a nice size, is only 17 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you that's, support indie, good people. Yes, it is yes. so worth it. But yeah, just look at that art. It's it it's fantastic. It's really gorgeous. It yeah. feels historical. Yes. Um, very cool. Um, very Aztec Mayan kind of feel to it. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, I you know what? I didn't take one note over Sandman, but I got it all I right didn't there. either. Got it all right there. <laughs> <laughs> now, we, we could have done the whole thing, but I'm lame, and I was too busy to get them all in. But we did get through six, and um, there's a lot Yes. that was accomplished in six episodes yes and um so far the people i've talked to that have seen it all have loved it whether mm -hmm. they have read it or not so that's always a good sign because you never know 
if you don't have context to what's going on, if you're really going to like it. But yeah, most of the people I watched it with have never read even an issue and they like, yeah, there's a lot going on. So I hope people are digging it because I mean, it's a dense show just like the book. And I actually talked to, so on Monday mornings, uh, the area of town I'm in, I'm actually by a local convenience store and I stop in there and get a drink and whatever. And my son works there. And one of the guys that is, he's always there on Monday mornings when I'm there, he likes to talk to me about the, all the comic book movies and pop culture stuff and whatever. And he keeps trying to get me to watch anime and I'm like, mm, probably not going to happen. But, uh, <laughs> he, a keeps, couple anyway. he keeps talking about one piece and he's like, it's the best show ever. And yeah. Do you have like 1200 episodes in you? <laughs> probably not. So but uh, we were talking this morning and he, he said he tried to start Sandman. He put it on while he was like eating dinner or something. And he was like, I had to turn it off. <laughs> he really? said, yeah, he was like, I-, I could tell there's a lot going on and I need to watch it when I can like really pay attention. <laughs> I right. said, yeah, that, that would probably be a good idea. So he was like, yeah. I'm going to get to it, but. So the, the anime that I've watched and enjoy, I mean, so like mangas in general are just a very much more visual experience. It moves mm-hmm. way more quickly and it relies on like hitting emotional beats really well, but it's not, it doesn't feel as dense as what's going on in same. So I kind of get that comment from him. Yeah. But um, I would say just out of the gate, it was pretty faithful. In some cases, almost identical, but there were some changes that I don't think had any bearing on changing the tone or anything essential to the story. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I did not bump into any of the casting choices. I thought everyone was wonderful. Um, uh, I was not so sure. My my biggest reservation going into it was uh, Gwendolyn as Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And she was wonderful. She was mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful. I, I I love. She played it very well, and she is so like tall and imposing, and I, that I think really helped. Um, and I, somebody I was listening to somebody talk about it. I think it was Neil. Actually, he was on uh, WTF with Mark Marin a mm-hmm. couple weeks ago you've not heard it listen to it, it's fantastic um but uh he was talking about her and he says she's like six foot three so she's already mm-hmm. taller than most of the people in the cast and then they put the wings on her and she's mm-hmm. like seven foot six and he said she's just amazing and and carried that very well and she did she really did um but uh yeah, I thought, you know, all of the casting for me, pretty good. Boyd Holbrook is, good Lord, he is outstanding. He is perfection as the Corinthian. So good. Yeah, we'll talk about him in a second because that was one of the changes or increase, I guess, yes. in, in a role. Yes. Um, but just to kind of finalize uh, the, the stuff with uh, Lucifer, so the thing I loved, she's imposing, she's big, but the thing I loved is there's like this friendly tone 
but mm-hmm. it could turn and she just was sinister on the spot you know like yeah she's almost you almost get this warm feeling like you know she and dream are friends and they're just talking and then yeah what makes you think i'm gonna let you walk at it you know it's like yeah, yeah she is so good in that way yeah i thought that was really cool and don't worry if you spoil something beyond six because i'm assuming that it will be much like the book so it's not really a spoiler. yeah i I don't know. I might. And that that's for anyone watching or listening. We're going to spoil what we've seen already. So yes. That's <laughs> if you don't spoiler. want that, go away. <laughs> spoiler alert. I'm going to write it. I'm going to put it on the screen. Just so, so everybody knows. But yeah. But yeah. So the Corinthian. Uh, the only thing I did not like about the Corinthian is um, his, the, the mouths, the teeth and his eyes were not always easy to see yeah it looked like just small closed slits yeah it, it was hard hard to see that sometimes i got no, a pretty I, big tv too so <laughs> yeah i got a 75 incher and i did not yeah. yeah yeah but um you know and he was in it a lot more than he was in the book came into yes. the story well it, episode one right yeah yeah so um, is for people who haven't read the book, he, that's expanded. He was not there in the mm-hmm. beginning of that. Um, and he did, there's, do all yeah, like things. Uh, we get just kind of <clears throat> glimpses of him in the comics. So, yeah, and you don't even see, like, sometimes you just see his hands or, yes, him, you know, the eyeballs and you hear the mm-hmm. crunch and you know what's going on, but it's not yeah. shown to you. Yeah. So, you get it more explicitly in the TV show. And I think it maybe just added a little bit to the Corinthian and, Gave him a little panache and a little bit of danger. and Yeah, I feel like with what we saw in the books, there's it would be hard to pull that off as it is in the books. I mm-hmm. think you, you need for that character to be what, you, what they want him to be and mean what they want him to mean and have that, you know, scary, intimidating feel the sinister feel they had to do what they did in the show. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to expand on that and really show who and what he is. What a nightmare. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting before, I mean, he cowers <clears throat> before dream um, and was going to be wiped out, you know, quite literally uh, yeah. before he's zapped away. Mm-hmm. And so then, Two, that gives you the sense of how weak Dream has become. Because before he zapped into the little, I don't know what his little glass globe or whatever, yeah. uh, eventually, I mean, when, at that point, he's a pretty strong guy. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just drilling the Corinthian there. But then he comes back, and then he gets pretty much waxed by everybody without his items yeah. and, you know, not a very... I thought that guy. was interesting, too, not to dwell on the Corinthian too much, but I thought that was a cool way to tie all that in as well, because um, this might go beyond what you've seen. That's okay. uh, uh, You know, he's there at the beginning, right? As dream is getting whisked away to, you know, be captured. So then the Corinthians free to walk the earth and do what the Corinthian does. And um, so then later at the, you know, the serial, serial convention, um, you know, they're all talking about him and, uh, 
they say something they they keep saying uh the the current corinthian because uh he he low uh, he has been around for so long that you know they talk about like well i mean he can't be the same person you know he you know, it's got to be like somebody, it's like the Dread Pirate Roberts that somebody keeps <laughs> taking up the mantle. <laughs> All right. The question is Did you think the role play fight, it's not really role play, it had terrible consequences. I am a dire wolf. I'm a serpent. When they go back and forth in the Battle of Wits, was it cringe or incredible? And then. Just to set that up, of course, in the book, he did not battle Lucifer. Yes, that was a change. It was not Lucifer. It was the actual, I can't remember his name. It was yeah. the demon it was who, the had, demon. who had his helm in his possession. He yes. actually fought him in the same way, but it was him and not Lucifer. So that was kind of a I mean, I don't know, big change, whatever, but it was fine. It worked. Yeah, and so... I know, um, I'm assuming that is my daughter, it says Facebook user, but um, she hated the fact that he was gasping on the ground about dead, and then he says, I am hope. So the thing that I love about the hope, or the you know, is like, in hell, what do you do to, I, I mean, how do you, uh, how do you inflict more pain? You have hope or you have mm -hmm. dreams that they cannot realize. So in hell, yeah. it's like the the perfect thing um, that, that she can't do without. Like if she were to get rid of dreams, well, what would hell be without dreams for them to never uh, be able to yeah, dream dreams of heaven? Yeah, it wouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So I think in a way that the the game there and the word, I guess it's not really wordplay, but um, it was a mental challenge, like yeah. a battle of wits. And mm -hmm. he outwitted and. The original case was the demon. Here it was Lucifer. So maybe it was a little melodramatic for this mm -hmm. Facebook user, but uh, I liked it. Um, and I'll show you the pages later so you can see it. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> I mean, that it was pretty much, I don't know how much, if at all, they really changed other than the different character going up against mm -hmm. Lucifer instead. The battle itself, I don't know that they really changed that very much at all. Uh, I don't think they did, but even if they yeah. changed a few words here and there, essentially it was the same battle. Yeah. So, And that's what you got to do. I mean, these are adaptations. It's not meant to be yes. word for word, although we'll find out in episode six, it's word for word. So, Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I thought was really cool um, th that was an addition... Um, this was not in the books was when we meet when he comes back to the dreaming and mm -hmm. he pays a visit to Cain and Abel. Um, mm -hmm. They did reference the house of mystery and the house of secrets. Mm -hmm. So that was very cool. It was. But, I'd love uh, a show on that. A new modern show on that. Would be oh so cool. yeah. And Cain and Abel were awesome. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing Neil said in his interview was uh those two actors, I believe, are, I want to say, he said they are of Iranian descent. Mm -hmm. And that was totally by accident. Like, they just, they found these two guys completely really? separate of one another, and they're perfect. And I, yeah, that's cool. But um, 
but they were they were great. But they had um, the Gregory, their gargoyle, mm-hmm. yeah. And Dream had to. I mean, it's essentially like putting down a dog for no reason, <laughs> like a completely healthy dog, and you're just put. It was so sad and horrible, mm-hmm. and he just he had to reabsorb him because he needed that. He needed to mm-hmm. absorb a something that he had created. Yeah completely and he needed that power to then go and you know continue on his quest and uh that was that was a really cool scene and that was so then that was that was also really cool then afterwards when dream found the egg and then like gave him the egg for goldie so yeah yeah little addition but a nice touch yeah and again didn't really change anything. And, no. and, and it right. kind of gave you a context for Goldie. Mm-hmm. So that worked. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I did too. Um, I guess we should mention that basically the first episodes are essentially dealing with his escape and then getting back mm-hmm. um, his sand, his helm, and his ruby. Yeah. Um, which he does do in five episodes. Mm-hmm. So it moves along pretty quickly. And then yeah. um, well, let's talk about I think number five, episode five, and the Ruby was one of the creepiest episodes I've seen of anything in a long yeah. time. And I cannot believe that Professor Lupin was that <laughs> dastardly. What a creep. He was, yeah. he is perfect. Every what's time his first he- name? It's Thulis, but what's his first name? I can't remember. The actor. Oh, I have no idea. He's just it, Professor is it Lupin David, to me. David Thulis, maybe? But hey, yeah, he was hey. awesome. He yeah. was perfect. It, it, you know, they had to they had to change it. I'm glad they kept the name John D, but obviously they took mm-hmm. out all the Dr. Destiny stuff. Right, and, right. Uh, it was cool that they kind of made him a descendant of uh, Burgess. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So th- that was kind of cool. They tied it to him. Kind of, he was like an what, like an illegitimate son or something, or yeah. grandson or some, something. Yeah, because uh, that gave him even bigger ideas of grandeur that he's completing this thing that his yeah you know, grandfather couldn't or whatever. So yeah, I was. I and they also they changed that when um, uh, the lady delivered him to the diner. He didn't kill her. Yes, I, I was so ready. I was like, huh. And, and I don't know why they did that. That first they gave her a dog and then he didn't mm-hmm. kill her. So I'm not sure why they did that because I feel like that would have 100% set up the diner scene. Because she, she betrayed him. Yeah. And so instantly I was thinking, oh, okay, this is setting up the end of this perfectly. Yeah. Because in the, when you're reading the book, you get this feeling he's so kind and nice to her, and then just yeah. out of the blue, blam, yes. he just kills her. And that totally would have been in character mm-hmm. for the, him to carry into the diner episode. So Instead, he was... gives her that amulet that's going to yeah. keep her safe. Yeah. Yeah. Was... yeah. Did it ruin kinda... anything? No, but no. I felt like it was an odd choice. I Yeah, I, I, yeah, I butted up against that a little bit, but I, I mean, it, ultimately it didn't matter. And, but I am curious if that amulet's going to come into play somewhere else, but... Right. Um, now, but, see, uh, for him, for as a character, for me, what I love about him is his delivery 
and his sincerity. You like you can almost believe what he's saying about yeah. people lying and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you just realize, oh god, this guy's batshit crazy. You know. Yes. But um, he walks that line so well that uh, I, he might have been my favorite character in the whole thing. Yeah, uh, just so good. I like how they uh, they played his mother as well. Um, there was some pretty big changes there. Um, mm-hmm. But it worked. It totally worked. Um, made perfect sense. There wasn't anything that was like, what is going on here? Like, it absolutely worked. And I thought it was cool that, I mean, that's his mother. And they look pretty close to the same mm-hmm. age. And, you know, like, whatever she was doing obviously slowed her aging process down and whatever. But, um I thought that was cool. That was a, a decent change. Yeah, it was the amulet that was keeping her young, I think, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I that's what it right. was. And then yes. he gives that to him, and then instantly she just yes, withers that's away. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, that, it, there was no emotional beat that was missed. It didn't change mm-hmm. the story any. It just got him on his way. Mm-hmm. Um, now he was, you know, indestructible, so to speak, and he could yeah. get out and go do. And the diner scene, once the characters start going, um, God, brutal. And <laughs> yeah. it was brutal in the book. So yes. I was kind of curious, are they going to really go that far? Mm-hmm. And they did. Yeah, I was very curious how they were going to pull that off as well. And it was not exactly the same, but mm-hmm. very much the same tone and feel. Yeah, an outcome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do not let your kids watch that. <laughs> that is one ugly scene. Yeah. So, um, um, okay. So then um, we've got the ruby there. The sand. What'd you think? Getting the sand back. Um, that was, God, I'm blanking on, wasn't that first? That was, first, that was the very right? first one. And he had to use um, uh, Constantine. Yes. Constantine. Constantine. And it was. I will never say it that way. It's too. I've said Constantine my whole life. Me too. (laughs) And I say John instead of Johanna or. Yeah. Um, I, I, that was another, that's a big change. So in the comics, obviously it's DC comics and use John Constantine. Um, but in this, he used Joanna who is kind of a, relative and ancestor of john but he did i mean he's playing on an idea that's always already been created but joanna constantine constantine is technically neil's creation so i think that that is one of the biggest reasons he decided to use her um so she shows up and what year is it? Which one? The oh, and the hobgadling thing. Uh, let's she see. Goes up to sixteen? Um, is it sixteen or seventeen? Seventeen hundreds, I think. It's I think it's seventeen eighty nine. Yes, it is, and that's where she yeah. shows up to. Uh, she's figured it out. Yes, and all that. Yes. Larry. <laughs> there you have it. I can um, only assume that's a reference to the legendary comedian Larry Miller, but I don't I remember assume. that joke. <laughs> Me neither. I, uh, I wonder if that's Paul. Paul likes Larry. Him and I, we used to watch Larry mm-hmm. Miller. Yeah, he's good. Um, but, uh, 
yeah the, so the sand when he gets that back and everything it does have a sad ending to that one as well and, but then it shows his softer side when he mm-hmm. um, lets her go peacefully yeah. to sleep um, that so was very similar to the comic actually mm-hmm. that 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 part uh, yes. switching out Joanna for John aside that was very similar to the book it was very cool very yep. well done that's <laughs> Paul that's me <laughs> um so yeah so the the sand was very close we just talked about um the helm a minute ago with mm-hmm. the game um in hell and then the ruby so John D destroys everyone in this diner and dream shows up and to face him on equal ground or to get the advantage he takes him to the dreaming because he's could not beat him in our world he's not strong enough so uh that brings up an epic showdown which i thought was really cool and just like the book as well yeah and i i love the ending of that where you know he john d has lost and He's waiting for a dream. You know, he's like, why, why are you letting me go? Why are you letting me live? Why would you not destroy mm-hmm. me after what I've done? And he tells him, he said, well, you destroyed the Ruby and that freed me. That freed my power. Mm-hmm. It freed me. And so that's, I never would have thought of that. So, and he knew too, that the Ruby had dictated his actions because the yes. Ruby corrupts whoever yes. has it for too long. So in essence, it wasn't, Totally his fault. Um, so he lets him off the hook and he just puts him to sleep. Yeah. Probably forever. Yeah. <laughs> so Which, is yeah. that better than death? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, who knows? I don't know. Unless you're peacefully sleeping. <laughs> um, okay. So that one ends and we get to episode six, which is a beautiful episode. Um, it was the one I was waiting for because I had heard, you know, the sound of her wings and um, yeah. we meet death mm-hmm. for the first time. And um, things don't go well if you like soccer, and uh, or if you play a violin, or <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, but it's cool because you know this is it was really poignant in the story, uh, just because he's he's found all his things. Like his journey to this point is now over, right? So what now? What do I do? Right. And that's yes. dream steps in to then you know point him in the right direction. Death, uh, or yeah, sorry. Death does that for dream. Oh, this yes. is hard when they don't have names. <laughs> Wait till desire comes in and which um, they do. Oh yes, very much so. And again, perfect casting. Yes. I can't remember their last name. It's Mason something. For and desire? Yes. Okay. I thought you were talking about death or from it. Because when you said that, when death was announced. There were so many people losing their shit over it. Mm-hmm. She's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely perfect in that. She role. was wonderful. Oh my God. She yes, yeah, she she was absolutely wonderful. I I mean it, I, yeah, I I don't I don't understand the problem. Like I don't <laughs> if you're just saying like, oh, they cast a black person, why blah 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 blah. But like, I mean, it, death has always been white. This no. fictional character that only exists on the page has <laughs> yes. always been white. Then that's not a true statement that she has. Yeah. Again, she they all appear as 
whatever you whoever see sees them, them yeah. you know who, however they want to appear really mm-hmm. and for the most part it's they appear as um period appropriate and you know mm-hmm. what whatever like their every culture has their version of this personification so they tend to present as that mm-hmm. to whoever yep. is seeing them so could be anybody yeah could look like anybody so but yeah and, and she the whole point i mean it would show it's kind of interesting because you think death oh here comes death but it just shows you how comforting death is to those who are about yes. to die she gently nicely takes them on mm-hmm. to wherever the next place is um and the actress is wonderful and does a perfect job she looks great so i'm hoping most people saw that after they complained and thought oh god i'm an idiot because I don't know how you could possibly crap yes. on that performance. She was amazing. I wish I had her name written down or cast list pulled up, but I do not. But uh, yeah, she was, she was amazing. I, I have zero complaints. I actually sitting there watching that episode, I was tearing up just <laughs> because I, she is like one of my favorite characters ever. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is like real. This is really mm-hmm. happening. <laughs> so I got a little emotional watching that. So it was yeah. pretty awesome. <laughs> and um, it was just beautiful. Just beautiful. It was. It was. And there's a great joke. I'm not going to ruin it in case because it's not consequential to the story, but a really cool bit with a soccer player. So just watch mm-hmm. it. Enjoy that. Um, yeah. But it also and, leads. Oh, go ahead if you had to say something else about well, it. Well, I was just going to say there was a, a few beats that they hit that are straight out of the book, you know, both of them like catching the mm-hmm. soccer ball and all of that. And the, the Franklin hitting on her and whatever. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty great. Yeah. They definitely kept to a lot of that. Uh, but I think what's so cool is, you know, you've got death and all this and it leads right into um, issue 13, which is seemingly a one-off yeah. in the story. But it ties so neatly together. Mm-hmm. And um, as we were talking before the show, it is essentially word for word. I, I could not comic. believe it. I was reading before we got on and mm-hmm. it had been a long time since I read it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly... I mean, I, I couldn't really... I don't remember anything that wasn't word for word. I mean, even mm-hmm. like... Um, the word balloons that show like the background conversation in the pub. And I, I mean, you even heard that in the show. Uh, it, it was amazing how they were able to pull that off. Very, very cool. Yeah. And just think too, how many period pieces they went through mm-hmm. um, for what? 20 minutes of show. Yeah, probably. And they went through, what was it? They start off in the 1400s. I think it was 1489. 1489, and then they go all the way up to, and it was great when they hit 1989, and you've got the uh, the music. I forget what song it was now. Dang it. Um, yeah, I don't remember. And he's got the cell phone that's the block. The brick, yeah. <laughs> he sets it down on the bar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was very cool. And just to think all of the detail that they put into just a short period of time on the screen. Yeah, and the, it was pretty great. And sticking to all those words. And the, I'm glad they did because, you know, Gaiman knows what he's doing when he writes a little dialogue and it was perfect. Well, so what's funny about that is you said 20 minutes of show. And I mean, really, 
if you read that comic, it is dialogue heavy. That mm-hmm. issue, issue 13 of Sandman is dialogue heavy. And it takes, you know, about that long to read the comic. Mm-hmm. It, I That is, it, it, I mean, just picture perfect adaptation for, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. And the mm-hmm. guy, the guy that plays Hob was great. He was. He was. And, uh, I, I guess we should say the whole point here is the guy said he's not going to die. People are suckers who just accept death. He's not going to do it. And um, Dream goes over and you know, he and Death basically grant him the ability to continue yes. living. So the way they tied it in, like they did uh, the uh, sound of her wings in the first half of this episode, yep. and the way they tied it in, I don't, did they walk by the place? Or something. He ends up standing there, and and she says something like, uh, "I think she asks him about Hob or something." Mm-hmm. He, was, he said something about you know he missed their last appointment. Yes, and it and, segues uh, right in. Yeah, to them going in the first time all those years ago. Yes, um, but the the interesting thing is he thinks, Dream thinks, oh. He's not going to want to keep living. You have enough of this life and you're going to want to die. Um, But what happens is the guy, whether he becomes rich or he loses everything and is poor, he just wants to continue living. He loves it. And um, they develop a friendship, which Dream doesn't want to admit that he needs a friend. Yeah. So in 1889, so in the comic in 1889, Hobbes says, you know, like, I don't know why you started this basically says, I don't know why you started this little experiment with me, but I know, I think I know why you keep coming back every hundred years to see me. And, you know, your dream is, you know, do tell what, why. And he basically tells dream that he's said, you know, you as an eternal being, he said, you're lonely. You don't, how many, mm-hmm. you, you need friendship I, and dreams. Like, oh, how dare you suggest that I need a friend. And so they kind of have it out. And he says, you know, Hobbes says, fine, I'll be here in a hundred years. I will be here. If you come, then you come because we are friends. And if, if we're not, then don't bother. And so mm-hmm. then in, in the, in the comic he does he shows up mm-hmm. in 1989 and you know he's like uh yeah we're we're buddies you know mm-hmm. and but in the <laughs> in the show they've they've adjusted the time a little bit so he missed his appointment in 1989 they show hob in the bar but dream doesn't show up yeah because he's trapped yes so in so then in you know present day he he does go to the pub and hob is there and he says late <laughs> so yeah, yeah that was pretty cool yeah i found that that one scene where he where he's destitute and he says i hated every second of the last 80 years every bloody second and uh and that's where i think dream thinks he's got him and he's like and you still yeah. wish to live so you crazy death's a mugs game i got yeah. so much to live for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah just say i wasn't sure first reading that like what was this issue about you know you really mm-hmm. got to get through it to figure out in the end um just yeah. stinking clever mm-hmm. whoever would have thought of that 
Um, yeah, up up until the 1989 thing, like I, it is just word for word. It's so good. Yep, I hope people are watching it. Um, any last thoughts? See, I haven't seen it all yet, so I got to see the last four. Then maybe next weekend we can just tie it up. Um, sure. After I see these last four, because I'm excited yeah. and yep. it has been approved for season two already, right? I believe so. It's uh. I mean, it was number one in like 89 countries yeah. for Netflix. So I don't know how they don't. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. So it looks like a very expensive show. But I mean, if it's doing that, those kind of numbers, I don't know how you don't make more. So, um, I mean, this is issue 13, but they, you know, you can kind of jump out of order and things. So, how many issues were handled in the first 10? Did it go beyond I, 13? Well, so issue 14 appears to be the serial convention, and they do that. Um, oh, I yeah, don't yeah. know. Beyond that, I'm not sure. I imagine they get through the entire Doll's House storyline. So we've got, like, I don't know, a couple, two, three more issues of that. So I, I would imagine that might be where they end it with the end of the doll's house stuff with Rose and all of that. Okay. Excellent. Well, I can't wait. So I'm definitely going to dig in, finish that so we can finish next weekend. Uh, one more thing. <clears throat> sure. How amazing was Stephen Fry as Gilbert? Wait a minute. That's not, that hasn't happened yet, right? It hasn't? No, he's in seven, I think, from what I've heard. Does it come in at seven? I thought he was in before that. I don't think so. Okay, well, never mind then. We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> well, fine. Don't you see on the screen, it says spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Well, you knew he was in it. Yeah. You just yeah, haven't seen him yet. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, that was fun. I'm going to take and spoiler alert off. Also, I don't remember his name. Um, the Hedwig guy that... <laughs> the the main the main the guy that owns the house that they all live in i can't think oh. of his character's name he he's awesome too and uh man if you have not seen hedwig and the angry inch i would highly recommend that um okay wait a minute i remember okay i got it right here because he comes walking in the room is it hal I think so. I think yes. that's right. At least yeah. how our landlord is normal. Yeah. So um, he he's fantastic, and that that is a little deviation from the comics. They give him. He has several uh, musical numbers. I mean, it's basically him on the stage singing in drag. It's but it's uh, he's great. Well, well, he enters the scene here doing that. So if they want to embellish a little bit, that's fine. Keeps right yeah. with it. It's pretty so. good, and they use it very well. They use it as kind of not necessarily exposition, but they use it to further the story a bit. So, okay, is the uh, cool. cure poster on the wall? I'm going to be angry if it's not. I don't remember seeing that. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. Well, like I said, there's some things in here that are time adjusted. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not the '80s when we see them. So. All right. Oh, oh, that was the one thing that I told uh, my wife that I butted up against was um, 
Dream says that he was uh, imprisoned for over a century. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Unity Kincaid fell asleep the day he was captured. And she looked to be, I mean, what, seven, eight, nine. And then when he comes to and she sends for Rose, and that woman is not like 110 years old <laughs> i wonder well, they so, didn't explain it you've seen the rest of them huh so that was uh, yeah and i don't to my recollection they did not address that at all but I'm like mm, that lady's not old enough to be we'll have to look it up that. yeah so but whatever it doesn't matter it, it didn't like keep me from enjoying anything I'm going to call my friend Neil, ask him about it. There you go. What's going on? Yeah. He can come right. on and explain himself, damn it. Yeah, Neil. Here's the invitation. Next week, come on, we're going to grill you. You explain <laughs> yourself. Maybe he could read to us. That was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I could listen to that for a few days. No kidding. Okay. Well, that was fun. Next week, 7 through 10, and issue 14. But this week, we have to finish up with the latest album, the 12th studio album from Soulfly, Mr. Max Cavalera. Mm -hmm. It's called Totem, and I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Mundy? Um, I would probably lean a little more the other way. Of like, There's a couple of songs that I really liked, but most of it I did not enjoy. <laughs> when you started off with superstition, were you like, huh? Or was that one that you were like, yes, they're back? No, I I went in this, I will admit, I went into this uh, a little skeptical uh, because their longtime guitar player, Mark Rizzo, uh, left the band and he did not leave on good terms. <laughs> He had some not nice things to say about Max and company. Uh, one of which I remember was he said that they made absolutely no effort to do anything for their musicians and partners during COVID, mm. um, which a lot of bands, you know, tried to get their people paid. And he said that they did absolutely nothing, mm. um, which sucks, but uh, I, you know, whatever that's, their business, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and Rizzo had been with them since like 2003. Uh, he was formerly in the band Il Nino, left them and joined Soulfly. Um, so their last album was pre-COVID, was 2018. It was an album ritual. And um, most of the leads on this one were played by Arthur Rizik, who also his credit, he was credited with production, mixing and mastering. So I don't, you know, I don't know if he's like the main producer or what. It didn't really say that. But uh, so I'm a huge fan of Mark Rizzo. Uh, he is an amazing guitar player. I love his solo stuff. Um I never really was a fan of El Nino, oddly enough, mm -hmm. but I've always loved him. And he was in Soulfly, and he was in the Cavalera Conspiracy, which is Max and Igor mm -hmm. getting back together, and Rizzo was with them. 
So he, I mean, he's huge, huge part of Max's, you know, songwriting and playing and everything. So I went into this a little skeptical of, you know, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to be without Rizzo. And so I think, I don't know, that might have given me a little bit of a bias on my ear, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I don't listening to the whole thing. I don't feel like that was entirely unjustified. Um, I feel like it, this does, this whole album does feel different. And uh, for the first time I, I have loved Max and, you know, his playing, his singing, his writing, Loved him since like 1991. First time I heard uh, Dead Embryonic Cells and from the Arise album of Sepultura. Huge. I, I did not, I really haven't listened to Sepultura since he left. So, like, I kind of went with Max to mm-hmm. Soulfly and everything else. Um, I've seen Soulfly a few times, I've seen Sepultura back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a fan of Max Cavalera. I did not love this record. And for the first time ever, I feel like Max is just kind of, I don't know if he's in a rut. I don't know if he is, has run out of ideas. Um, I feel like most of this was kind of rehashing what he always sings about. Uh, I feel like his lyrics really don't make sense. Um, And it almost feels like it's hard for me to think this is the case, but because I've heard him in interviews and he seems fine. I mean, you know, he's from Brazil, so Portuguese is his first language. But I mean, he's been speaking English for decades, you know. But man, I just, it, it almost feels like a lot of these songs are not like he doesn't quite understand the net. Well, no. Okay. Let me say it like this. I feel like he has a limited vocabulary. So he is rearranging the same words in different order on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. No. Okay. Uh, it makes that explanation makes sense. What I felt like is, you know how you want songs to be loose enough that anybody can interpret the lyrics to fit where they are in their lives. Sure. I feel like these are so vague and just yeah. destructive terms yes. that there just isn't anything to grab onto. Um, they almost are just there for feeling like, Oh, here's anger. You know, and they, we've yes. got a few phrases about it and we're supposed yep. to be angry. And, mm-hmm. but I just, I, when it came to that, I couldn't connect to many that, There's not, yes. It's very, very tone heavy without mm-hmm. really saying much. Agreed. Now, maybe if you knew the intent behind it, you'd be like, okay, I kind of get it now. But I just think in a, in a good song, you should be able to take something away from it. Yeah. And we might take two different things away from it. Yeah. But that's what's great about music or poetry, you know? Yeah. Um, so I will say there were some things that I did enjoy. 
Um, uh, superstition, you mentioned that before. I do think that's kind of, I mean, it's a solid opener. It sounds like Soulfly, but it, I mean, it's not anything I'm going to go back to a lot. But hmm. it, I mean, it, it's a solid opener. It definitely sets the tone, I think. It does, but it just, for me, when I first heard that, I was like, okay, here we go. It's just going to be the same thing. Yeah. Um, I did like scouring the vial. That was one of my highlights. Uh, One of the things I love about that is uh, Donald Tardy from Obituary on guest Mm -hmm. vocals. So him and Max trading off is Mm -hmm. fantastic. Uh, I I mean, you listen to Obituary, I feel like you either love them or you don't. Uh, And I, (laughs) again, I've been listening to them since like 91, 92, Mm -hmm. around in there somewhere. And they're like a, you know, legendary Florida death metal band. And Donald Tardy sounds like Donald Tardy. Like nobody sounds like him. He doesn't sound like anybody else. And that him being on this song, I think is what bumped it up to a highlight track for me. Yeah. I I just felt like it sounded different too. It had some breaks and um, I I liked it. I thought, um, and the vocals changed. Sometimes I think Max gets in a rut and it's Mm -hmm. just like the same, you just feel like, oh, there should be a change here. We should, the speed or the, you know, the cadence or something ought to be a little different. It just seems a little straightforward, but I felt like this one didn't do that. And I like yeah. that quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, my next favorite song, actually probably my favorite song on the record was The Damage Done. Same. Because it had some super chugging going on and then yep. it had some really nice <laughs> riffs going on. Um, That's exactly what I said. I was awesome one note chug at the beginning. <laughs> just that yeah, one. It was fantastic. Hitting that low string over and over, just mm-hmm. a good chug, and then it just slips into a real solid groove. That is so funny. Yeah. That just tells you where the album is. If we're picking out songs because it's got a nice chug. <laughs> that was my two highlights off of this one, to be honest with you. That was everything else was just kind of meh. <laughs> I, I did enjoy Totem. Um, I didn't love it. It was probably my third favorite on the record. Yeah. It, not terrible. Now, we need to speak about. Um, I really admire what they did or tried to do with uh, Soulfly 12, mm-hmm. second to last song, and Spirit Animal. I, I really like the effort to do something different. The instrumental, um, I thought was, you know, interesting. What did that end? They Is that the that. one that ended in fuzz and? I probably I don't know. Um, this was actually a short instrumental for them because they it was. do. They do soul, uh, a soul fly on every album. Yes. So, yeah. And I remember and the last one I liked. Yeah. And this one I started to, and then I'm just like, it, it just didn't get me. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, usually in the soul flies tracks, they have uh, more of a world music feel. Uh, mm-hmm. Max loves that stuff. He loves, you know, world music sounds. Um, that explains he, spirit animal. He loves traditional Brazilian instruments. I mean, he was using that stuff way back in Sepultura Mm -hmm. even. So um, he kind of expanded the world music stuff when he started Soulfly and all of that. And on these instrumental tracks, they're kind of all over the place. Uh, Most of them are longer than this one. I don't Mm -hmm. don't know why they decided to do this one. Was was it even three minutes? Um, If that. It was really short. I yeah, up, so, but. but most of them are pretty long and drawn out, and they kind of 
go all over the place and they get trippy and whatever. But this was, yeah, it was a little different. Kind of same, but different. Yeah. Um, okay, here it is. Let's see. It's uh, 234. It's like two, yeah. I was going to say 245. Mm. So, And then the last, okay, Spirit Animal, when you talk about like trying to bring in the world music, I'd like to see him incorporate it some way with the heavy. This one almost felt like two songs. It was like a strange break in the middle and then the yes. singing. I, yeah. To me, so, it was like great effort. I'm not feeling it. It just does not fit with this record. So, yeah, these are the notes, my notes for Spirit Animal. I said there's a 45 second intro that is absolutely unnecessary. <laughs> they did not need to do that. It's just like build up and doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's solid, solid riffs. Um, weird gibberish lyrics. I, I don't know what was going on there. And, and it's like the song doesn't actually start until the 317 mark. Mm-hmm. Then like then we get like a real song. Um, and there were some pretty cool guest vocals from uh, technically Max's stepson. I think he adopted him maybe somewhere along the way, but it's Richie Cavalera. Mm-hmm. who I've actually met and talked to and seen play live. He's pretty cool. But uh, he has a band called Insight, and they're pretty heavy, kind of thrashy. But uh, I said the the last couple of minutes, um, it's almost like a bonus track. It's it, a, it, a it, hidden it, track it, that comes. a different song. <laughs> yeah. It I... goes like full reggae or something. Yeah, I... Fit it in with the heavy. Find a clever way to throw that in. I'm not, I know I haven't talked about Rush for a while, but they did get reggae into their songs and it still sounded like Rush. It didn't sound like some funky other thing that you're like, who the hell's this? You yeah. know? Um, yeah. So I think they could have done better as far as that goes. I just felt like, and we talk about, you know, the opener. Yeah. It sounded like Soulfly. The closer was it a good closer. No. Yeah. Finish yeah. with Soulfly 12. At least that one matches, you know, the other albums. Even though I didn't really like it, Spirit Animal is just odd. Yeah. So it's, I feel like it was uh, ambitious, but not well executed. Agreed. <laughs> so, folks, I think the, what you need to take away from this is if you pick up this album, you want to listen to the damage done and scouring the vinyl, vile uh, over and over. That's what you yeah. got to do. And you're going to yeah. come away pretty happy because those are some great songs. Yep, that was my two highlight tracks. That that was that was it. <laughs> I don't know that we've ever read an album this closely before. It's pretty funny. I I was waiting when you started to talk about your next, you know, what track you loved and whatever and I'm like it's going to be the damage done and then you said it and I was <laughs> like <laughs> Well, I think that means that we were on point. Yeah. Everybody Simpatico. Everybody should feel exactly as we do, or you are wrong. That's what I'm saying. You heard it here first. We have 120 other episodes to prove that we're awesome. There you go. <laughs> or we just don't know when to quit. <laughs> one of the two. We will uh, prove that one of these days. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. So um, my review out of five is, oh gosh, I'm going to give it a two. Because I like those songs and I like the effort. Execution poor, 
Good effort. Give it a two out of five. Will he listen again to those two tracks? Uh, my listen again is probably the same. Um, I just because it's max, I think I would give it a three out of five. It's three out of five is my like middle of the road. I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. There's a couple of songs I really like. So a three out of five, you know, probably not going to come back to it. I'm going to listen to stuff that has Mark Rizzo on it. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I, I just, I don't know. I, it just kept popping into my head. I'm like, I'm sitting there listening to it and I'm reading the lyrics. And I'm like, man, I just feel like Max is out of ideas. Like, I, I I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah. Uh, it would be interesting. I wish somebody would listen and respond what they thought of the lyrics or how did they read those? What can you take away other than emotion and feeling? I, I just put a story together with most of these. So. Yeah. There you have it. Well, next week we have an exciting record to listen to. Monday, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks what we're going to be reviewing next week? Uh, well, so I can't we wait were, to hear. We were going, we were kind of tossing around two ideas and they could not be more different from each other. But honestly, like I'll probably listen to both, but I'm more curious to see what um, Panic at the Disco is up to. Oh, oh. <laughs> Is that what you want? Panic. Okay. Sorry. I, I thought for sure you were going with Megan. <laughs> no, no. That's what I'm going with. No. <laughs> All right. So we're going to review the new Panic. Let's go. Yeah. I'm curious. The other one we were tossing around for anyone that cares was uh, I Prevail has a new one. And I'm not super familiar with them. I, I actually. Um, one of uh, Lacey's co-workers, she knows like I'm a huge metalhead and apparently her daughter loves I Prevail. And she asked me if I would take her daughter to see them. And I was like, I mean, sure, I guess. Like, I don't know your daughter, but <laughs> okay. So, but that didn't end up happening. She went with like some co-workers of hers or something. So. All right. Panic at the disco. Should be a fun one. Yeah. And we are also going to have a super duper difficult challenge issued by Mr. Mundy. Are you ready to present that now or do you want to think about it? Um, do you want me to or do you want to hear it first to see if we can do it? <laughs> no. Do it on the show. You want me to throw it out right now? Yeah, throw it out there. Okay, so we were headed back from the Chicago area uh, this weekend. And we were, I just had it on like a kind of a 70s, 80s playlist and whatever. And they, they played uh, an Eagles song. And my wife and I were both, I mean, I grew up listening to Eagles. I love them. I've always loved them. And she does too. And we were singing along and we just got to talking. And she was like, can you think of any other bands that really you know, you take the Eagles as a unit and the success they had, and then their other individual members, mm -hmm. 
and the hits that they've had, she was like, can you think of, you know, any other bands that were like that? And I was like, not many, not off the top of my head. That's for sure. So she was like, that would be a good challenge on your show. I'm like, that's not, not terrible. So that's it. What do you got? What bands like the individual members of the band had really successful careers on their own as well. Okay. I'm going to uh, rewind this and uh, <laughs> erase her from the show. We'll talk about it before we put her on. <laughs> Holy crap. Okay. I'm going to come up with something. It doesn't even have to be, you said broke up there, but it doesn't even have to be that. It's just. Oh yeah. Okay. I guess I went with, you know, a lot of bands break up and then they all. Yes. So, and they could come back. So I'll yes. fix that when we do it initially or eventually. So that's a fun one. I like it. There's so, a few that, you know, you can think of, but we came up with a couple, but I'm going to, yeah, I think I just thought of one actually that, <laughs> that we didn't talk about. So. That's episode 122 brought to you by Metalhead Monday. It is top to bottom <laughs> metalhead. Fun. <laughs> now, it'll be fun. I like that because, and I think what we should do is um, not just try to come up with one, but come up with a few um, that we know, even if it was just two people who broke away and did something. Yeah. There's a lot of those sure. kind of things. Let's just yeah. chat up different bands who've done that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. So if anybody wants to uh, know what the Metalhead's up to, where do they go? Uh, Right there. Instagram at MetalheadMundy, M-U-N-D-Y. Why? Because we like him. And you can find JPP at the Phoenix Supernova on Instagram. He will be back at some point. We are hoping. We miss JPP. Um, I miss the side of his head. And his darkness. He brings. You start quite... doing the show like this. <laughs> It'll make me feel better. Can you turn your lights off? Oh, <laughs> uh, and you can find me at Foggy's Pal on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find Wanderings and Wool Gathering on YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Castbox, and SoundCloud. And you can find album, movie, TV, and comics reviews at WanderingsWoolGathering.com. See you next week for Panic at the Disco. Bands that are very good individually. <laughs> and <laughs> and issue 14 of the Sandman. And, oh my God, this show is going to be huge. It's going to be two hours, everybody. It's going to be a spectacular. That's what we're going to call it. Because we're going to talk about the last four episodes of the show as well. So, big show next week. Until then, we will see you on Twitter and Instagram. Bye now.